sermon if I knew Peggy McClellan was going to be here. Wow. Love you, Peg. Good morning. So just one more quick announcement for you. Uh, Bill Yates, a lot of you know Bill Yates, passed away this week on Saturday. Bill has been an elder at Grace Harvest for decades and has been a huge part, thank God Almighty, been a huge part of the kingdom of God growing in unity here in Rudoso. He has been a big part of our elders uh, growing in that way. Years ago, we met together with the elders at Grace Harvest. and So anyways, Bill Yates has gone to be with Jesus, great, great brother in Christ. Not sure when that's going to be, his funeral, but um, encourage you guys to reach out to the Yates family. So, uh, Easter's coming. Did you guys know that? I noticed it comes around every year. And it's coming, Resurrection Sunday. And so that's about four weeks away. And between now and then, my family and I are going to go on vacation. We are going to uh, be gone next Sunday. And you know, sometimes people like to kid around with preachers and say, well, all you do is work one hour a week, which really offends me, I want you to know, because my sermons are only about 30 minutes, all right? And that's all I work is 30 minutes a week. And so stop accusing me of that. I get sick of that. So uh, we're, I, think, I think our family, to be honest with you, we're kind of tired right now. We're just, I mean, physically and just emotionally, just we had a lot on our plate. And so we're going to go take some vacation and turn our cell phones off and uh, get the heck out of Dodge, as they say, for a little while. And so, um, so we'll be gone next week. Carl Parsons, thank God that we have great speakers in our church that do a good job of preaching the word. He'll be preaching next week. I'm not sure exactly what he's going to do, but I want to let you know that between now and Easter, uh, we're going to be doing, as Brian said, uh, a series. And i got to tell you a story to kind of introduce it. Most of you know Solomon. You know, the king, Solomon. You know that deal he's famous for? Wisdom. And about the two women and the baby and all that stuff. Well, I heard a different version of that. And I want to be crystal clear, it wasn't in the Bible, okay? Everybody got that? Nobody go and say we heard the story in the Bible. This is a story somebody made up, all right? About King Solomon. And here's the story. Two women came in to King Solomon... And they brought with them a, a man who was in the prime of his life. A young man brought him in. They were dragging him between them, kind of pulling him back and forth. And, and the first woman said, this man is supposed to marry my daughter. And the other woman said, no, this man is supposed to marry my daughter. And, and so they were kind of pulling back and forth. And in Solomon fashion, he said to his servant, bring me. My biggest and sharpest sword. And so he did. And he said, ladies, stand back. 
I will cut this man in half, and each of you can have half of him. And the first woman said, yes, that is exactly what you should do. You should cut him in half, and each of us take half of him. And the other woman said, oh, no, no, let's not shed innocent blood, which he quickly, immediately, King Solomon said, the first woman who said, cut him in half, that's the one that he should marry her daughter. And the other one said, but this is, you know, that's not right. It's innocent blood. And King Solomon said, yes, but, but she wants him cut in half, and that's a true mother-in-law right there. That's who she needs to marry, right there. It's pretty bad. It's better than the other one I had, though. That's, that's... This is not a series of lessons about mother-in-laws. This is a series about kings. This is a series about this chair right here that all of us walk around carrying everywhere we go. Every place we go. We're going to spend some time in Psalm chapter 2. We're going to be looking at King Jesus. King Jesus. And if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to open to Psalm 2. I'll have a few verses here, but, uh, but some of it you can just be following along in your Bible as we go. As we approach Easter, we want to think about this. Easter is about some historical facts. Easter Sunday is about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Historical facts about Jesus. But it's also about something else. Easter Sunday is about a very personal question. Who is king and more directly who is your king that's what easter sunday is about and so we're going to use psalm 2 to ask ourselves this question to examine our hearts to ask the holy spirit to convict us to teach us thank god he's the teacher and not me all right i'm going to bring some scripture i'm going to bring some application but the holy spirit is your teacher according to john 14, 15, or 16, somewhere in there. He's your teacher. Let's ask him to teach. Lord, today, as, as I do my best to bring forth your word, would you do your best work in the heart, starting with my heart, my heart first, and then with each heart here that's willing to open their heart a little bit to the possibility that they might need to grow, to the possibility that they might not have every single in place already to the possibility if they could crack their heart open a little bit God that they haven't arrived that they don't know everything if you would just in the name of Jesus if you would help us to crack our hearts a little bit about that and then if you Holy Spirit would you miraculously do the best work you do work in our hearts we pray it in Jesus name amen Psalm chapter 2 Jim read for us and this psalm really functions in two ways I'll just tell you those two real quickly the first way is, as Jim said, in a messianic way. That it's, a, it's a psalm about the Messiah. When it was written, there was no Messiah yet, but there was one that was coming. And this psalm points to Jesus. But it also functions in another way. It functions as a coronation. It functions as an induction of the king. And as you look at verses 1 through 5, what you see there is that there's a new king being placed on a throne. A new king is being placed on a throne in Israel. And what do the other kings do? The other kings say, you know what we need to do? We need to find out if we've got we to test the metal of this king. 
we got to find out if this king is strong enough to stand against us kings. Because there's a bunch of kings, and we're all going to try to get on that throne right there. And this psalm says to those nations around Israel, God says, you better watch out. You better watch out because this is my king that I'm placing on the throne in Israel, and I'm going to take care of him. And you better be careful if you challenge him because I'm going to take care of him. But here's the deal. As Jim said, the language demands. It has to be bigger than just a coronation back in Israel of a new king. There were many kings, almost 40 of them in Israel and in Judah and, and, and uh, yeah, Judah and Israel. And so, and so it has to be bigger than that because the language is too big for any king. No king could live up to all the things said in Psalm chapter 2. There's no way possible except God's Messiah. So we can read it both ways. And we'll probably take a look at some of those things throughout these weeks, both ways. But here's going to be our outline. I'm going to change it around a little bit at the verses we're going to look at. Here they are right here. Today we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. And the point, I'll just tell you the point right now, is that there is a king. Verses 1 through 3, next week week we're going to go back and we're going to look at the truth that we hate the king. Oh, there is a king, it's just that we hate the king. And then the last week, verses 10 through 12, we're going to look and see... And this is going to, I'm sorry, that won't be next week. It'll be two weeks when I do that. And then, and then on Easter Sunday, we're going to say verses 10 through 12. Even though we hate the king, we need the king. We desperately need the king. Verses 4 through 9, God is telling us, folks, there is a king. There is a king. Now, talking about kings is a little bit strange for Americans. All right? Because... Us Americans, we don't have any kings. On purpose. It's not accidental. We don't have any kings. The idea, the idea is that we have this government here that's a by the people and for the people. That's the idea. And, and the idea of a king is not like that at all. The idea of a king is that the king does not exist for people but the people exist for the king. That doesn't make any sense to us Americans. We're like, no, 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 wait a second. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't like that. It's a little foreign to us. As a matter of fact, it's very literally foreign to us because we have a guy named King George III that has had a big influence on every one of our lives. You might not know who King... You might have never seen this picture before. You might not have listened when you were in American history. But here's the deal. This guy has had a big influence in our life. Because he became the king of England in 1760. And he had huge debt problems over there in England. And he thought, I got a good idea. What I'll do is I'll tax those colonies over there in America. And when I tax them, I can get the revenue, I can get the money, and I can fix my debt problems over here. And us Americans said, we're not having any of that. We ain't doing that. So a bunch of letters were written, and they were sent to King George III, and they were discarded and put in file 13. And so diplomats went across the ocean and they talked and they tried to reason and, and they were ignored. And so us Americans said, well, let me tell you something, King George III. We are free. We're free. And we're not doing what you say anymore. That is our history. We're free to make our own laws. We're free to govern ourselves through democracy Never again are we going to be ruled by a monarchy like this guy, King George III. And two and a half centuries later, this idea of a king is foreign to me 
and it's foreign to you. We do not live in that kind of culture, and it's difficult for us to get our arms wrapped around it. And the interesting thing to me is this, that even though we don't have a king and we live in a democracy, here's the thing that's interesting, is that literature in our culture and actually in all of human cultures and all of human times there has been this common story, that the storyline that has run through cultures. And here's the story. There was a great king. Oh, he was awesome. He was amazing. He was full of wisdom and power, compassion and justice, glory, splendor. We loved the king. Oh, and while he was king, everything blossomed. I mean, our lives blossomed, our economy went up, our relationships, we fell more in love with our spouse, our kids behaved, the grass turned green, the flowers bloomed, I mean, the crops went just bumper crops. It was awesome when he was the king, but something took the king away. He had to leave. He had to leave, and he's gone. And we're looking for him to come back because things are not that way now. Things are not so good right now. And, and so we are looking for and longing for this return of this king that will come back so that things will be like they used to be. That's a story that you guys have heard over and over and over and over and not at church. Who's this? Russell Crowe. That's right. And he is playing the part of Robin Hood because there's a great story about King Richard, who was a great king. Things were great. Things were awesome in the kingdom. But King Richard's been called away, and his evil son or nephew or whoever that nasty guy was has taken over, and things are bad. And so Robin Hood has had to raise up, and he's had to try to do some things to, to try to help because we're all waiting for King Richard to come back. If King Richard would just come back, everything will be okay. Who's this? King Arthur. Knights of the Round Table. Camelot. Falls in love with Guinevere. I mean, everybody sits around a round table. It's not like there's a top and we're all at the bottom. It's like everybody's equal and there's peace in the land and everybody's happy and there's joy. But now the king has gone on a quest and there's immorality and, and the, the kingdom is in disarray and we sure are looking forward to the king coming back. Lord of the Rings, in our last century, in the 20th century, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote this great trilogy, awesome trilogy. And the basic theme is this, there's a true king in the north, and when he shows up, all will be good. Right now, it's darkness, and there's all kinds of evil that's raising up and gaining strength in the world, but when the true king of the north comes back, things will finally be good again and it's strange that we seem to have this insatiable desire for this story these are just three there's many more we have this desire we want this story of a good returning king and part of the reason is because the actual record of real kings in history is that they're horrible they're terrible. They're tyrannical. They're insane. I was reading in the last few weeks about some kings and some, and some of the insane things kings did. It's horrible. 
It's horrible. We'll talk more about that next week because it's one of the reasons we hate kings. But historically, it's strange that we would want a king because of all, you know, get all these horrible kings, and yet we like these stories about kings. But here's the deal. Historically, monarchies, where there's a king and a kingdom, they've been toppled and they've been replaced with something like a democracy. And yet still, even though we live here in this place, this democracy, we're still enamored with kings. Here in our culture, we even invent kings. We don't have a king. Now, sometimes we watch other kings. How many of you ladies stayed up until four in the morning to watch the royal wedding? A couple of you. Because I know you did, because I've heard about it, okay? And if you didn't, if you didn't get up at four in the morning, how many of you were, oh, I've got to watch it this year, dress, and oh my goodness, and it was just so beautiful, and that kiss was pitiful. What's wrong with that guy? You know, and on and on, whatever. And, and so we're, we're like enamored still with this royalty thing, but even here in the United States, we don't have any kings, but we try, to, we try to create them. Well, you go, what do you mean create kings? Well, we have, we have heroes. We have sports heroes. And we adore them, and we worship them, and we kiss them, and we follow them, and some people live for them. And there's music celebrities, and, and there's people who are on the big screen, and, and there's politicians, and there's, there's superhero stories that are mythical. They're not even real people, but we create all these trying to find this great, awesome, amazing king that we could follow, that we could worship, that we could adore. Why is that? Well, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote an uh, essay called Equality. And he gives us a couple of helpful reminders about this. He says in this, in this particular uh, essay, he says, Man is meant to or created to serve a king. That's what we were created to do. The need for this authority is bound up in our nature as creatures who answer to a creator. It's inside of us. We want it. And so the need for a democracy comes because of the result of a fall, because there are people who are evil and we need checks and balances. And so we need a democracy because no king is very good. So we need this democracy. And yet, to use his own words, C.S. Lewis says this, he said democracy, a democracy is not, I mean, a democracy is medicine. It's meant to help heal us broken people, but it's not our food. Man is meant to serve a king. That's our food. And why would that be? If he's right, if he's right that man is meant to serve a king, why? Well, it's because there's this memory trace in the human race of a great king, an ancient king who did rule with that power and wisdom and compassion and justice and glory and splendor. And we were created to serve that king, to give ourselves to that king, to know that king, to love that king, to adore and worship that king. It's like it's in our DNA. And the Bible says that we're made for that king, King Jesus the king who is above all other kings, who is way down below all these stories and myths. He's like down there below it. He's the reality. Even the good kings, even the few that there are that are good, he is the reality of what a dim reflection they are of him. 
And here's the deal, folks. If you reject this king, listen to me close. You will find another king. That's what you'll do. Because that's what you're made for. You're made to serve a king. So if you reject this king, you reject King Jesus, you will find another king to serve. And, and, the, and the deal that's a tragic about this is it will poison your life. It'll poison you. What are some examples? You guys know these already. You know, you know these examples of things that poison our life, these things that sit on this throne that we carry around. This throne that God says you have free will and you can choose who sits on the throne in your life. Make your choice, whoever you want. You want money? Power, prestige, possessions, all that goes with money. You want that? You want to have that? Then, then God says, I give you free will. You can choose that king. Go ahead. You can have that king if you want. It will poison your life. You might say, well, now, wait a second. I mean, hold on, John. I mean, you, you know, money doesn't have to be a king. It doesn't have to sit on the throne of my heart. What are you talking about? I mean, that's, that's but Jesus is the one who said it. He said, you can't serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll hate the one and love the other. Man cannot serve both God and... Thank you, that's right, Carter, money. God says, if you are not serving me, there's a good possibility you may be serving money as a king. It's a master. It will destroy your life. Relationships. Some people put people right here they put their spouse or they put their children or their grandchildren or they put their friends and they say you sit down right here friend at school you sit down right here my grandchild and whatever you say to do i'll do that you're the king you're in charge of my life i did a wedding i did a lot of weddings and i did a wedding a few years ago and sometimes, occasionally, I'll do a wedding for somebody that comes from out of town that I don't know. And that's what this was. It was a wedding of two people I didn't know anybody in either family. And, and so I did the vows, and they answered, I do, I do. And then they wanted to put the ring on the finger, and they wanted to say their own personal vows. A lot of people like to do that, and it's really cool. So the guy, he put the ring on her finger, and he said some really nice, loving, great things. And I'll never forget what she did. Because it sent chills down my back. She put the ring on his finger, and she said something like this. I'm not quoting her, but very close. I will do anything for you. I, you are the number one, number one in my life. Nothing is above you. No other people. No other thing. No one, nothing in the whole world is above you. She, and this is, she just said this. She, she said these words I'm about to say. If you need me to lie for you, I will lie for you. She said this in her wedding vows. If you need me to kill for you, I would kill for you. I, I was like, well, am I on candy camera or something? What's going on here? This is gross and sick, you know? But you know what? She was just speaking words for what some people have in their hearts. There are people who have set a person right here or a group of people and said, I will do whatever they say. Maybe the most common thing 
Well, wait, let me just say, Jesus said, you know what Jesus said about that? He said, if you come to me, you want to be my disciple, and you don't hate your family, can't be my disciple. In other words, basically what he's saying is, you want to sit someone else in this throne? Not my disciple. Go ahead, you get free will, go choose, do whatever you want, but you're not my disciple if you're sitting someone else in this throne. But the one we mostly set here, of course, is me. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to do whatever I stink and want to do. That's what I'm going to do. By the way, I am an American. Don't forget, okay? I don't have a king. I'm the master of my destiny, you know? So, just whatever selfish desires I have. And Jesus, what does Jesus say about that? Well, the Proverbs of the Psalms says, there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to death. What does Jesus say about this? If you want to follow me, take up your cross. I always think, what does that mean? Does he mean like, oh, I got a sore knee. That's my cross, you know? Oh, this is my cross to bear. I got a sore knee. No. He's saying, you want to follow me? Take a cross. Get up off the throne and die to yourself. If you don't hate your own life, he says, you can't be my disciple. Those are Jesus' words. Who's sitting on this throne? And really, I mean, if, if money or other people or myself, if I sit here, you guys, you're saying it's going to be poison. Come on, John. That's like hyperbole, you know. Preachers like to exaggerate stuff and say stuff really big and, you know, make a big point. It's not really poison. It's not going to poison you if you do that. It, it might not be the best, but it's not going to poison you. Well, just deal with what Jesus, what, with what the Bible says. Here's what James says. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed, and then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That sounds a lot like poison to me. Here's what Jesus' own words said. The thief, the one who wants other things to sit here, he came to steal and kill and destroy. Sounds like poison. And so our, mo- our main point here today is, is this right here. There is a king. There's a king. There's a king Right here, on the throne of your heart, there is one. Whether you've thought about it or not, whether you want there to be or not, there's a king on the throne of your heart. There is. And bigger than that, there's a king. And whatever you decide, you can decide anything you want. There's still a king that's the king of the universe. That's what this Psalm 2 says. Is God worried when people plot to put something else on the throne of their heart? No, look at what verse 4 says. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. One version says, God is amused at their puny plans. Good luck with that, boys. Go ahead. He's kind of like, yeah, that's great, you know. Uh, Give that a try, I guess. Here's an example of, I think, what this is talking about. God's not upset. God's not upset with people who make this decision. Look at what happens in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8, do you remember that? The people say to Samuel, they say, you know what, Samuel, you're old, Not very nice, but that's what they say to him. You're old, Samuel, and your sons, you know what they are? They don't follow in your ways anymore. So you know what we want you to do? Give us a what? Give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. Samuel is very upset. He's panicked over what they want to do. Is God panicked? God upset? Look at what God says. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Listen to what God says. The Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. As they've done, 
from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods. So they're doing to you. Now listen, listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Poison. Samuel's like, okay, you want a king? Go ahead and get you a king. Poison. And here's the deal, folks. God is not worried. He's not upset. And here's the reason, because there is a king. The true king. And in Psalm 2, he says this. He says, I have installed my king on Zion, on, his ho- on my holy hill. A little bit later, he says, I'll make nations. I'll make the nations your inheritance. The end of, your, the, end of the earth, your possession. God is basically saying, there's a king, folks. And you know what he's over? He's over Zion, and he's over the whole earth. He's over all of existence. Hebrews quotes Psalm 2. And Hebrews says, you know who that person is? The real king is Jesus. He is the king over all the earth. Revelation says it in a great way. I love what Revelation says. And we sang this in our song today. Brian didn't know I was going to talk about this. But Revelation says Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That's what he is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. What in the world does that mean? Well, this is what it means right here. Alpha and Omega. It's part of the Greek alphabet. The first, that's capital A and a small a, capital omega, small omega, first and last in 24 letters in the Greek language. And Revelation says, you know what Jesus is? He is the alpha. He's the beginning. Part of what Revelation is telling us is this. He was uncreated. He's not the beta. You know, that's, that's the second letter, alpha, beta, gamma. Okay, you know, it's, it, he's not God is the alpha and he created Jesus and he's the beta. Revelation is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is the Alpha. John says it this way in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that's been created was created through Him. Who is that talking about? Who's John talking about? He says in verse 14, John 1 verse 14, the Word became flesh and lived among us for a little while. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha. He is not created. So there is this king in the universe. And it begs the question that we're asking today. Is he your alpha? Is he your alpha? Is he your beginning point? Okay, think about it. In your thinking, and your reasoning, and your direction, your rules that you're going to have for life, your filter through which you see the world, the way you make your decisions... The way you decide what you're going to do today, where does that start? Where does that start? Does it start with Jesus? He's the Alpha. Or does it start with something else? Does it start with your doctrine? Do you say, I've got some doctrine and beliefs, and that's my Alpha. And we're going through that first. That's the first thing. Once we go through that, then we'll decide what to do. Is it your concern about what the outcome is going to be? I've got to make a decision. How will that come out? Let's see. I want it to come out good, so that's my alpha. That's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to make my decision based on how it's going to come out. Is it your worry about what other people will think? Oh, if I do that, uh, that guy or that lady or that person is going to think this or do this. 
Is it what you were taught as you were growing up? Is it something that's going to make you uncomfortable? Is it your feelings? You say, I feel this way, and that's where I'm going to start. Whatever my feelings are, that's what I start with. Where do you start? Is Jesus your, amount, your alpha? In other words, whatever he says about whatever the subject, that's where I start, with Jesus. That's where I look first. If that's the truth, then Jesus is your king. He's sitting here. Jesus is your king. But he's not only, he's not only the alpha. He's also the omega. By the way, if he's not your king, if he's not sitting here, Psalm 2 says he's still the king. He's still the alpha. He may not be your alpha, but he's alpha. So you get to choose. You want him to be your alpha? You can. But if he's not, he's still the alpha of the whole universe. Everything begins with him. But he's also the omega. He's the last. He's the end. All of creation was made for him, and it's heading his direction for the end of all time and the end of all things because he's a king. But here's the question. Is he your omega? Is he your end? Or is he just a means to get to some other end? Do you have some other omega? Are you trying to use him as a means to get to your omega, to your end? Are you trying to use Jesus? See, if my end, if my omega, let's say it is that I want to be happy, okay? That's my omega. That's the end. That's where I'm heading for, and I want to be happy. If that's it, right now, let's say maybe I would say, okay, well, uh, this is make-believe. Amy and I are doing great. But let's say right now I say, well, it's, a, it's bad because, uh, you know, Amy and I, our, our relationship is, you know, things are not going well, and so I'm unhappy. Or my kids are rebellious, and that's not true either. Okay, but my kids are rebellious, and so I'm unhappy. Or, or maybe I don't have any friends. I'm lonely, and that is true. I am, no, not really. But anyways, um, you know, it's like I don't have any friends. I'm lonely. I'm all by myself. Okay, and I'm unhappy, and the end that I'm trying to get to is I want to be happy. That's what I want. So, Maybe I could use Jesus. I'll go to church and maybe my marriage will get better and then I'll get to my omega. I'll get to my end, which is that I want to be happy. Or maybe I could go to church and I'll take the kids to youth group and J.E. could straighten them out and then, then I'll be happy because then, then they'll be better and I'll be happy if, and that's my end and I could use Jesus to get there. Or maybe if I go to church, I'll meet some nice people, some good friends, and then I'll be happy and I'll use Jesus to get to my omega, my end And here's the, fo- here's the deal, folks. God won't be used to get to your omega. He won't. If you've got a different omega than him, you're going to be disappointed because Jesus is the omega. Jesus is the king. There is a king, and it's him. And so I know a lot of people who say, I'm going to try church for a little while. I'm going to give it a try again, maybe. I'm going to try going so that things will get better in my life and I can get to my omega. And they try for a little while. And you know what? They didn't get what they wanted. So they quit. I didn't get what I wanted when I went. When I went back to God, when I went to church. I didn't get what I wanted. I wouldn't get to my end, my omega. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit God now, and I'm going to go find something else to help me be a means to get to my omega. I'm trying to get you guys to think today, what is your alpha and what is your omega He, if if he's the end, he's the thing at the end, then let me tell you something, he's your king. But the Bible says this, if you choose for him not to be your end, you got some other end, he's still the omega of the whole universe. And here's the amazing thing to me, 
is that if you make him your alpha, your starting point, and you make him your omega, your end point, you know what he says? He says he's going to give you all the other things as well. All those other things that you got as an omega point and you want to try to get, if you'll make Jesus your alpha and your omega, Jesus says it this way, seek first the kingdom and all that other stuff is going to be taken care of. It's going to be fine. So the Bible says, tell the truth. And I told the truth, and I didn't get the sale. I told the truth, and I didn't get the date with that girl or that guy or whatever. I told the truth, and it didn't work out for me. But here's the deal, folks. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because he's the king. He is all. And if I didn't get some other little point in between, you know what? He is the king of kings. He is the alpha and the omega. And he has been king for all of eternity. And he arrived on this planet as king. Since that day, people have been. People have been. Worshipping him. And I want you to see this short two-minute video. Let's hope it works. son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? so too do we believe that he is the promised king. King of kings. The Lord of lords. And worthy of all of our worship. He is our alpha. He is our omega. He's our all in all. 
He is the King. And so today, if you've never made Him King, if you've never said, Jesus, come sit on the throne of my heart, don't leave today without inviting Him to do that. As Paul said, let Him dwell inside your heart with faith. Invite Him to sit right here if you've never done that before. Don't leave today without doing that. You'll never, ever, ever regret that decision. If you've decided that you want to be baptized, you've never been baptized, and you want to be, you come find me after service, or find me during this invitation song. We're going to stand, and we're going to sing. Lord, above all else, we place you at the highest place.